0: Thank you for joining us on this Theology Refresh podcast for pastors with Desiring God. I'm David Mathis, and privileged to be sitting here with Kevin DeYoung. And our topic for the next few minutes is the Holy Spirit. Kevin has helped us with the publication of a booklet recently on the Holy Spirit with the Gospel Coalition, which is a great resource I would point anyone to. And Kevin has agreed to talk with us for just a few moments. Kevin, is there a certain place you'd want to turn the mind of pastors as they think about this topic of the Holy Spirit that can also sometimes be mysterious and elusive. Where would you encourage them to go
1: in their thinking? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, and you sort of alluded to it in, in the question there, David, that when we think of the Holy Spirit, we often think of you know, maybe a certain experience expressiveness in worship, which, which can be a wonderful thing, or they you got know, this mysterious ethereal sort of uh, experience or presence, and I'm, I'm certainly for truth-driven experience that the Holy Spirit can give us, but I think maybe what we miss out most is the Trinitarian connections, mm. and that the Holy Spirit, John 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come not only will lead you in all truth," he says in 14 through 16, but that he will come to bring glory to me." So mm. I think w- we don't often think the Holy Spirit works to bring glory to Christ. And there are a lot of, I think, practical outworkings of that central conviction, uh, and we can get into a few of them. but I mean w- one of them would be, w- we are never in danger of focusing too much on Christ. Now, well-meaning people sometimes say that, uh, you know, this is a Jesus church and we need more Holy Spirit. Look, the Holy Spirit is alive and well in any church that is eager to praise and to glorify Christ. And so I think uh, there is a reason why we have a cross on the top of the steeple and not a dove. Or why we sing songs about the cross And I think they're spirit songs, because the spirit wants to direct our attention to Christ on the cross. Uh, There is no danger that the spirit, there's not this sort of inner Trinitarian jealousy, or nobody's talking about me, and I'm the Holy Spirit, and you don't have enough spirit. Where we are focused on Christ, the spirit is at work. Mm -hmm. Amen. So
0: corporately, one way to test our level of spirit empowerment is the objective focus on the cross of Christ, the person of Christ, and does that work as well for us as individual Christians in testing to see the Spirit's measure in our life?
1: Yeah, I I think what, you know, we think of the Spirit's work in our lives. There are some objective measures and and subjective, and subjectively we might uh, look for certain affections for Christ. Uh, You know, as a staff, we're reading through Jonathan Edwards' religious affections, which is I'm not quite sure why we're, do, <laughs> we're doing it. It's, it's quite a, difficult, it is. but uh, he's trying to parse there. What are those those sort of affections like? In one of the things is Christ likeness uh, bears out in the fruit that we have and on the attention that we're paying to Jesus. And w- one of the things I talk about in the little booklet, and I don't know if we're getting into this, but I guess I'm getting into it now. Mm. Uh, this is one of the reasons why inclusivism doesn't work. Uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, goes this way in mere Christianity and at the end of Narnia, as much as we like C.S. Lewis, and a lot of other so-called evangelicals would espouse the same view, that there can be kind of anonymous Christians, and and sometimes it even seems, well, very reformed, right? I mean, the Spirit is so sovereign, can work and save people in all sorts of ways, and they, they never heard of Jesus, they don't know Jesus, they're a part of Muslim or Buddhist traditions, but they still believe, they don't believe in Christ, but they're still saved by the Spirit. And that that doesn't work with this understanding of the Spirit, that the Spirit's work is never independent of Christ. It's never to secretly go in, regenerate people, without also proclaiming, declaring, pointing them, unveiling to them the glory of Christ. So if people are not seeing the glory of Christ, we don't have the Spirit at work there. And so the idea of an anonymous Christian who has the Spirit indwelling him and yet does not have faith in and a love for Christ is just a contradiction in terms and a denial of the work that the spirit intends to do.
0: That's good. And to then apply that to the book, in scripturated revelation, yes. that word and spirit belong inseparably together.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, th- there's another thing that people often want to try to separate and sort of, well, we're word Christians or we're spirit Christians. You know, I, Every time we're preaching the Word, we're studying the Word, we want to pray that the Spirit would be at work to illumine this Word that He's inspired. And then conversely, we're not in danger of somehow focusing too much on the word you know sometimes people will say well you're so propositional or you're just focusing on the word or the letter and not the spirit well that's not what paul is talking about in second corinthians 3 he's not directing people to be less engaged with their bibles he's talking about a kind of uh, dead letter from the mosaic covenant or legalism. but anyone who is spirit-led spirit-driven full of the spirit will be listening to the Spirit in the Scriptures, because that's Mm -hmm. the only sure place we know we will hear from the Spirit.
0: That's good. Kevin, one of the shocker texts on the Holy Spirit is in John 16, where Jesus tells his disciples, it is better that he goes away. Explain that to us.
1: Yeah, I think that can be puzzling, especially to new Christians. Why would Jesus say, I mean, most of us think Jesus... It would be really good if you were still here, and I'm sure I'm sure the disciples were definitely thinking that, look, Jesus, you could be here. We could ask you questions. We could touch you. We could just show you to anyone, and they would believe. But of course, we know if we know the Gospels that they all did see Jesus and touch Jesus and, and didn't believe. And I think what Jesus is saying there is, if if I'm here, if I don't go to the Father and then with the Father send the Spirit, then I'm limited to a physical location. In this, as a human, he's in one place. He can speak to people only at one time. So it is truly better. And here again is the, the connection, intra trinitarian connection, that Jesus is preaching all over the place by his spirit through the word. That Jesus is touching people. Jesus is ministering to people. Jesus is present in our worship. By the Holy Spirit, because he's no longer he's not limited to Galilee or Jerusalem. Uh, and as much as you know, Christians love the Jerusalem trip, and they're going to go to Israel and see all the sites. You, you don't have to do that to be near to Jesus, because the Spirit is the it's the the Spirit is always the Spirit of Jesus, and so it's Jesus. He's Jesus' presence with us.
0: That's good. You uh, you've talked about. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit as a engagement ring. Yeah. Explain that illustration. How is the Holy Spirit an engagement ring?
1: I think from uh, Ephesians 1 and elsewhere, we see that the, the Spirit is a kind of down payment or is a seal. And we're not always very familiar with the language of seals in our day, not clubbing baby seals, but seals uh, on a letter, an imprint, or something that signifies the authority or who this is from. And the Spirit is that seal, that engagement ring that we as the church are the bride of Christ. And we know from Revelation there is a great wedding feast, a wedding supper of the Lamb to come. And the Spirit present with us is the Lord's way of saying, I'm promised to you. uh, I am... You're God. You are my people. These promises that I've given you are sure and steadfast. And you have benefits now and blessing now, but there's a day when all of that will be completely fulfilled and realized, and this ring is the promise. And you think of, I mean, whenever you meet a a young lady who's just engaged, I mean, she's just sort of dangling her hand in front of people's faces, just thrilled, with this diamond because the the man of her dreams has promised and asked for her hand and so in the same way as the church christ has promised himself to us though we are often unfaithful and he has given us his spirit as a pledge that though it may seem a long way off and we may not see his his love or feel it in the ways we want to at times yet that promise is sure and the wedding is on its way
0: Kevin, would there be any additional word of exhortation or charge you'd have for pastors in relation to the doctrine
1: of the Holy Spirit? I think we need to, well, sort of two things. You know, on the one hand, you have the folks that are always saying, well, we've ignored the Spirit. And it was interesting as I was reading books on this. People have sort of been saying that for like 30 years, and and yet there's been a lot of books on it. So I don't don't know if that's a fair criticism. But you have those people, maybe pastors listening, who think, yeah, we want to have more of the spirit and our church isn't spirit-led. And you have other folks that as soon as you hear that language, you just have a lot of bad connotations. I mean, spirit-led is one of those. I mean, is that code for we didn't plan worship or uh, we're going to allow whatever happens, and if you want to do something spontaneously, okay, we can't veto it. So I think if we can bring those two together and say, we love God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit, not afraid, we we love to, Uh, we love the Holy Spirit, but understand that some of the connotations we have may not be correct, and that as we said at the outset, This spirit whom we worship is going to lead us deeper into the scriptures, not away from the scriptures. It's going to lead us to the cross, not be a diversion from the cross. It's going to glorify Christ, not be competition for Christ. This spirit is going to deepen our worship, help our planning for worship, not be some sort of spontaneous distraction from everything we're trying to do. Uh, If we have that understanding, hopefully we'll see in our day a renewed enthusiasm passion and i think it's already there for the holy spirit uh, wedded with this this good theological understanding
0: mm-hmm. thank you kevin would you pray for those who are listening to us today
1: gladly our father in heaven we praise you because only because you have sovereignly sent your holy spirit to us and have opened our eyes through the word of god that we might know the gospel the great and precious promises of Christ would be precious to us. So thank you. Anyone listening to this who does not know that, we pray for your spirit to sovereignly move like the wind to blow where he wills. And we ask for all of the pastors who will labor in preparation that the spirit would anoint those words and that work. Forgive us, Forgive me, we are often negligent to pray and plead with the Spirit for his help in our preaching, in our counseling, in our Greek translation, in our commentary reading. We need the Spirit's help. Anoint us that the preaching we do would have great power and anoint the hearing of it that our people would hear a much better sermon than the one we preach because your Spirit is at work. We pray in Christ. Amen.